More than anything else, Lord, we pray that our hearts would be tuned to you and what you would have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all stand again with us. Living God, Spirit of the Living 
spirit of submission and just really seeking what he wants to tell us today and declare regardless of how you're feeling uh, that it is well kind of speak that into our spirit today
Heavenly Father, it's so easy to get caught up in all that is happening in and around us and forget that the wind and the waves still know your name and obey your command. And in our lives, when everything around us seems to be falling apart, Lord, we pray that we would just continue to remember of your goodness and your grace and your greatness. And Lord, that we would declare that it is well. Now we pray, Lord, as we open your word and talk about the way that you use it to form our lives, we pray that we would be open to whatever it is that you're calling us to do today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Be seated. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, we're going to be in chapter 3. If you're new to the Bible or new to church, you can kind of get into the New Testament towards the back of the Bible and move towards the T's. All the T's are grouped together there. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Last week we started a brand new series of messages that's going to carry us for the next several weeks called the Bonsai Way, and uh, inspired, yes, in some part by my love of 80s movies and the Karate Kid and the Bonsai Tree that Mr. Miyagi um, formed during that movie, but then looking into a deeper understanding of that culture and what those are about and how these tiny trees that are supposed to represent and look like larger trees are taken care of and uh, consistently tended to in order to make them into the picture that is in the mind of the Creator. And as we talked about that, we talked about the way that God shapes us, that God has this picture in mind, a completeness, a wholeness that He has in mind about who we are and what we look like and how we act, and that God is in the process of developing that in us by feeding us, by nourishing us, but also by sometimes pruning us. And our verse for last week that I'm just going to remind you of quickly was John chapter 15 where it says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes, that is snips or cuts away parts of our lives, every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. And so last week we talked about the fact that God will prune us, but that his pruning always has a purpose, and that he will cut away areas of our lives, that he will show to us ways to be nourished and helped in our lives. And the questions that we talked about last week was, what does he prune? What does he take away? And we talked about three different um, forms of things in our lives that he may take away from us. Um, Those dead and dying areas of our lives, the diseased areas of our lives, the sin in our lives, the parts of our lives that we are not doing what God would want us to do, the things that are harmful, unhealthy habits in us, he will prune those from our lives. We talked about him pruning sucker branches. You all remember that discussion, those of you who were there? Those little things that come off of the main branch that serve no purpose other than to take away the nutrients from what is happening in our lives, and that all of us have things in our lives. And we talked about some of those. Entertainment and media and social media and our phones and our and relationships sometimes and career can all be that, where it's taking all the nutrients, all the good stuff from us and not giving any fruit. And then we mentioned sometimes he even snips healthy branches. That's what it says there in John 15, that he snips healthy branches in order that more fruit can come. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is say, okay, so what does he use to prune us? How do we put ourselves in a position 
to hear from God, to have God shape our lives into that ultimate picture that He has for us. Today we're going to talk specifically about the fact that God uses Scripture, the Bible. But more importantly than that, not just the Bible, not just Scripture as it is, but applied, obeyed Scripture God uses in our lives to change us. You know, the Bible is an amazing book. It's made up of 66 individual books, 40 different authors, over 1,600 plus years. And yet there's a consistent message that is weaved throughout it. This is not surprising to most of you in the room, but it's the highest selling, most widely distributed book in history. It has been translated into languages and dialects over 2,500 different times. In the midst of that, people have a different understanding, or some people have different understandings about what this Bible is. Some people think it's just a book. In fact, in America, about 19% of Americans say that the Bible is a book like any other book. That it's no different than any other book, it's just a book. It's got some crazy stories, some interesting teachings, but it's not more important or different than any regular book, about 19%. The good news about that is about um, 81% say that it's not, but they fall into one of two other categories. One is, well, they say it's an important book, but it's not necessarily a book that impacts their life. By the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but 88% of Americans own a Bible in their home. In fact, in a Bible owning home, the average number of Bibles in that home. I want you to think for a minute, how many Bibles do you have in your home? The average for any home that owns a Bible, the average number of Bibles they own is 4.7. Five Bibles per home that owns one. Now, just to give you context, there has been nobody in the history of the world who have had that kind of access to the Word of God. And yet... Only 19% of those people say they read their Bible regularly. You see, some people see it as an important book, but it doesn't really impact their lives. And then there are some people that see the Bible as the book. The one that literally changes us. The one that speaks the Word of God. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk about why God uses the Bible, or what the Bible is, how God uses it, and then what the purpose of it is, before we kind of wrap up at the end and say, here are some strategies and ideas for you to use to put yourself in a position to be used by God. Second Timothy, starting in chapter 3, verse 14, says this. We're going to read this whole passage, just four verses, and then we're going to come back and talk about them. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe. You know those who taught you. And you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
Now we're going to focus in just a moment down there at the bottom towards the end of the message today. We'll talk about verse 17 a little more in depth. But I just want to remind you that we talked last week about that is the goal of all discipleship, of all following God, of becoming who we are, is to be equipped and complete for every work that God has for us, to be the picture that God has. And Scripture is what God uses on multiple occasions to make that happen. So let's just walk through this passage of Scripture together and see what it teaches us about itself. By the way, this is the most clear definition of what Scripture is from Scripture. It's the clearest way to understand it. It starts right there in verse 14. It says, but as for you. Now that's important because it feels like we're picking up in the middle of a story. Anybody here... um, now, now, people don't do this as much because people just stream stuff all the time, but any of you here ever remember when you would just watch live TV and you would walk in in the middle of the story and it might take you a minute to catch up on what was going on and you might miss stuff? Or, or some of you who um, prefer to be, shall we say, fashionably late to things and are going to go to a movie and rationalize there's going to be 25 minutes of previews and it only takes me 50 minutes to get there and you hit traffic and you walk in like 10 minutes in and you're like, all right, now I've got to figure out the story of what's going on as I'm here. All right, so it feels that way when he says, as for you, here's what I want you to understand. And this is why this particular section of Scripture is so important for us. Paul is writing to Timothy, his um, son in the faith, his preacher boy, the one that he is helping to train and to be, to carrying the mantle of leading and teaching and leading a church there and he writes to him and he basically says in the verses right before this the times are going to get more and more and more evil as we go down the line and that people are going to start saying that good is bad and bad is good and they're going to turn from the right and they're going to deceive people and there will be people that will tell you that they're following God but they're really not and you have to be willing and able to understand and discern the good from the bad. And so he says in the verse right before this, if you get your Bibles open, you can see it there, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. He's saying it's going to get worse and worse and worse. That you're going to look around and say, don't you remember when it was 20 years ago, it wasn't this bad. I heard it said a couple of weeks ago that every generation thinks that the generation that follows them is worse than they were. And there's some truth in that, perhaps. There are definitely things that are social norms today that were not 20 years ago, not when I was growing up, and I think have moved away from Scripture for sure, But in some ways, we all have a sin nature, and each generation has its own sins that we find acceptable and indulge in. The point that Paul is making to writing to Timothy is, as you are living in this time, this is how you stand firm in the midst of it. As for you. Not as somebody that's going to be evil. Not as someone that's going to be impossible. Not the one that's going to be deceiving. You're going to stand firm. He's just told him a couple of verses before this that persecution is coming, that difficulty is coming, that it's not going to be easy. He says, but as for you, here's how you stand. Continue in what you learn and believe. By the way, the word continue there is an interesting word because the word is actually remain, abide in. It is the exact same original word in Greek. It's the same word that was used in the passage we read last week that says, Remain in me. 
the exact same word. And so what he says is, this is an active participation. Remember, believe, continue in, fight for, be a part of, live out what you have been taught and have come to believe in, what you have learned and firmly believed. Remain in that. Don't move from that. Stand firm in that. Continue to be a part of living out what you know to be true about what you've learned and firmly believed. The word learn there means to have experienced to the point that you have proven it to be true. To have trusted in it because it has proven itself faithful again and again and again. This is the rationale that I use when I'm going to ride a roller coaster that looks particularly dangerous. How many of you here are roller coaster fans? Okay, how many of you would never get on one? All right, I see. Shannon, you're never going to get on a roller coaster. We rode it once, that's it, all right? <laughs> Noah, same thing. Noah rode it once, never riding again is what he says. We're going to get him on a roller coaster when his hair grows back, all right? So, recently, uh, I've told you all this, when we went a year ago or so, I rode the Velocicoaster, which is the newest, biggest one at Universal Studios in Florida, and this rationale for me wasn't working as much because it was in beta testing stage. Now, usually when I go to a very dangerous coaster, you know what my rationale is? Hundreds of thousands of people have ridden this before, and no one has died recently or that I've heard about. Right? Like you have, there are, it has proven itself time and again. And sometimes even when I'm riding one that I've already ridden before, you have to tell yourself, I didn't die the last time. It proved itself right. When I was on that Velocicoaster, though, there was a moment when we went up that 120 feet in the air at 70 miles an hour and as we started to descend in an inverted climb and I did not have anything holding me here and my rear end was coming out of the seat and I was holding on like a rodeo guy on a bull that I thought, what was I thinking? Right? But the rationale is, well, no, nobody gets hurt on this. They run this thing hundreds of times a day. Nobody gets hurt. Paul's saying to Timothy, you have tested the Bible time and time and time again, and it has never failed you yet. The song that we sing, um, have sung some over the last few months that um, is out and is a popular song, and it just says, he won't fail me. He hasn't failed me yet, and he won't fail me now. He says to Timothy, continue to abide in, believe in, rest in, trust in, live out what has proven to be true and what has been taught because you know who taught it to you. And we, we find out here in this passage that he has been taught it literally from the nursery, from the moment that the picture in Scripture is from the moment almost he came out of his mother's womb. He's been taught the truths of God's Word. And they're saying to him, Trust in that. Trust in the people that taught you that. Trust in what they've done. And trust in what you have seen through your life. Remain in it. He goes on to say, And you know that from infancy you have known 
the sacred scriptures which are able to give you, and then he gives this term, wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. A couple of things that are meant in this passage, I believe by that, and the second one's especially important for what we're talking about during this series. The first is that it is through Scripture or through the Word of God, through the way God has revealed Himself in His Word, through Jesus Christ, that He has revealed to us the plan for how we become saved in Christ Jesus. That without Christ, we are completely hopeless and lost. That we are sinners in need of grace. That we are people that have failed. And that without Jesus, we have no hope. But Christ came and lived a perfect life, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on the cross specifically to pay the penalty and the debt for the sin that you and I have built up. And His perfect sacrifice on the cross saved our sins if we are willing to accept the fact that He did that for us and then rose again on the third day to the glory of God and the defeat of death. And as we read that and have taught that and then passed that down to us, we understand that what God has done is He has saved us through the revelation of God in Jesus Christ as described in His Word. Praise be to God. But then it also has a second kind of aspect of salvation because when you and I say, have you been saved? Are you saved? The truth is we really should be asking the question, have you been saved and are you being saved? Now, I do not mean in any way that Christ's blood does not completely wipe away our sin in that initial salvation experience. But Scripture makes it very clear and plain that part of our salvation is an ongoing working out of God, turning us into the people that He wants us to be, snipping at the edges, pruning where He needs to prune, forming us into the people that He's called us to be. The, 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 the religious word for that, the biblical word for that, the Sunday school word for that is sanctification, being changed, being made holy by Christ. And what he's saying is the words of God that saved you initially in conversion are the same ones that can continue to convert you into the people that God wants you to be. Trusting that he who began a good work in you is going to carry it on until the day of completion to the glory of God our Father. And so it's saying that trust in Scripture, trust in what you've been taught, trust in what you know, Trust in what you've been leaning into. Continue to lean into that. Continue to live it out. And then he gives us a very clear understanding of what Scripture is. And it starts with verse 16 that says, All Scripture. Now, I I just want to let you know, the number of pages that have been used to try to figure out what those two words mean together is more than you and I want to even think about. There is a huge debate. I know you don't come into that because in our understanding here at First Baptist Goodless, well, for 15 years we've talked about the fact that the word all means all. And the Greek word that is used here for Scripture is the Greek word for all. But there's a huge debate about whether it's all Scripture or every Scripture. Not that that really matters, but apparently somehow they think it does. And what does that mean? Does that mean the parts that we like? Does that mean the parts that we feel could be true? Are those the parts that were acceptable now, even if they were acceptable then? That's not what it means. All means all. What means Scripture? Well, in this case, what we're talking about is the Old Testament as we know it, that would have been their Scripture, but also the passing on of the gospel message that has come to him 
from his people of faith, from Paul, all that has been instructed later in Scripture will remind us that Paul's writings is Scripture as well. So this is it. The, the canon that we have, the 66 books, all of that Scripture, every bit of it, it says, is inspired by God. That's not a really good translation of that. We use the word inspirational a lot. Inspired by. I was inspired by that story. And that just means motivated a little bit. That's not what this word means in the original language. In fact, it's a word that Paul made up. It's not used anywhere else in Scripture, not used anywhere else in the ancient language that we can find until Paul uses it and then it's used in Christian writing. But it is the combination of two words, which is God and Spirit. And what it means is that it is literally breathed from the mouth of God. It's not an inspirational quote that makes us feel warm and fuzzy. It is literally breathed from the mouth of God. It is God-breathed. Some translations do that, although that's a weird translation. People like, well, it's it really is inspired. And we talk about inspiration, but it's more than that. It is the words of God as described by God, as given by God, as coming from the mouth of God. This is God's message to us. And not only is it God's message to us, because, can I tell you something, if God wanted to, He could give us a message that was harmful and not profitable. He could bring judgment and calamity upon us, and He has every right to do that based on our standing and who He is. But this word that He has given us is not only from God, it is not only God-breathed, it is profitable, it is useful, it is helpful for us. So again, remember what we're talking about. He's saying, listen, hold on fast to what you're doing. In these difficult days, there are going to be people that are going to challenge it. Hold fast to it. Remember what you've been taught because it's good. It is from God. It leads to our salvation and it also helps to continue the salvation working out in our lives. It is from His mouth and it is useful to us. And then He gives us what it does. He says four words. The first and the last are related. The two in the middle are related. The first two are about truth or the mind. The second two are about action, obedience. But he says what Scripture does for us, what God's Word does for us is that it is good for teaching us about the doctrine, rebuking those that believe falsely, correcting the behavior in our own lives and training us to do what God intends for us to do. It is good to talk about the reality of what the Bible teaches as the truth given by God. One of the things that hopefully over the last 15 years you've understood about my leadership and what I desire for us as a church is Overall, number one, I want the way we act, the way we practice, the way we operate to be guided by, understood against the backdrop of what does Scripture teach about it. I read business manual stuff. I read church polity kind of stuff. How do we operate and govern? 
We can talk about theories and strategies for reaching people with the gospel of Jesus and what that looks like in our own training and all of those kind of things. But ultimately, if it doesn't align with what Scripture teaches as the God-breathed word that is useful for us, then I don't want to be a part of what's happening. So what does the Bible teach? What does the Bible rebuke? What does it say against? What do we need to stand against in our day and in our church and in ourselves? What do we need to correct? What are those parts of our lives that we need to overhaul or see God change? What do we need to train and become in the midst of it all? It says that God's Word, when we read it, when we hear it, when we teach it, when we live it out, will be something that reminds us of the truth of what should be and gives us a picture of how we live that out in our lives to the point that it tells us at the end of these verses that the man of God may be complete and equipped. And the the understanding there, there, there's a word used there that's not used anywhere else in Scripture for the word complete there. And, And it means proficient, ready, prepared, that we have all the skills and tools necessary to accomplish the mission that God has given us to do. Ultimately, the goal of education in our educational system is to prepare students to handle whatever may be coming to them after schooling is over. It is training them to do things that they will be able to be proficient as as they leave. After college, I went to seminary. The goal of seminary is to train local ministers, local pastors to do the work that God has called them to do by giving the knowledge and instruction and the practices that are there. Scripture is what gives us all the training we need to do what God has called us to do. It is our training manual, our tool development kit. It gives us everything we need to develop into the people that God has called us to be. Second Timothy chapter 3 reminds us of the importance of God's Word. Look at how it's translated in the message. I love this as we kind of think through this here at the end. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. You see, some books give information. Some books offer explanation. Some books suggest interpretation. But only the Bible promises transformation. Now that's true, just as a caveat on the end. Only if we apply to our lives what we learn from God's Word. And that's made clear in a couple of places in the New Testament. It's made clear throughout Scripture. All the way back in uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy, it talks about the fact that we must live by the Word of God. God gives the people manna in the wilderness. We'll talk about that some other day. But it says in there the reason He gave them wilderness manna was so that He could test them on whether they would be faithful to living out what He told them to do, whether they would be faithful and obey the instructions He had given them. 
It tells us in the book of Deuteronomy that he did that for them to understand that man does not live by bread alone. By the way, a verse from Deuteronomy 8 quoted by Jesus in the wilderness when he is tempted and Satan tries to get him to eat bread and he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The point is that man shall not live about any kind of bread by itself without a spiritual understanding of what God has given to us and how we need to obey it. In the book of Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus is teaching at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you know this parable, right? The most famous parable is the two builders, one built on the sand, one built on the rock. We know this. The only difference between those two was both heard the word, both were aware of the word, both understood the word, but only one did what God had called them to do, and they built on the rock, and those that did not built on the sand, and so the life was destroyed of those that built on the sand and was profitable for those that built on the rock. In James chapter 1, it says, Be not just hearers of the word, but be doers also. And he compares those of us, many of us in this room, who look at God's word, that read God's word, that understand God's word, and then walk away and don't do anything with God's word. He compares us to the man that looks in the mirror and sees what he looks like and does nothing to improve his appearance and walks away. Basically, he's saying, we are missing the opportunity to have our lives transformed by the word of God. So how does God prune us? How does God teach us and correct us and rebuke us and train us? Well, one of his tools is his word. And if we want to be the people God has called us to be, we need to be invested in his word and applying what he's called us to do. Just some practical tips for us as we think about God's Word. We're going to talk maybe a little more about this in a couple of weeks, even when we talk about the disciplines that God puts in our lives, private disciplines. Just a couple of things. First of all, if you're going to be impacted by the Word of God, you need to read it on a regular basis. Find a good reading plan. If the one-year Bible, reading the Bible through in a year is overwhelming to you, then don't read it through in a year. Read it little bit by bit. In some ways, that may be more beneficial. Read a little bit of Bible a day, just be reading it. You can't know God's Word if you're not reading God's Word, right? It's like a student that doesn't read their textbook in college and goes to an exam and he says, you didn't tell us what's going to be on the test. He said, I told you to read it and you didn't read it. So if you didn't read it, it's not my fault that you didn't read it. You've got to know God's Word. You've got to read it. Secondly, you need to meditate on it. Don't just read it real quickly and shut your Bible like, whoo, got my Bible reading done for the day. Check that off. It is done. Think about it. Let it marinate in your mind. Let it sit with you. Write it down. Journal it. Write down questions that are there. Ask questions of the text. Find out answers for it. Think about it when you're rising up. Think about it when you're going to sleep. Meditate it in God's own God's Word. Thirdly, find a place to hear it taught practically. Not just for information, but for change. My goal each week is to bring you biblical teaching that is applicable to your life. Find a place. Be a part of that. Listen to it taught. You have more access these days to biblical teaching than anybody in the history of the world. Find it. Listen to it. Make sure it is solid biblical teaching and that it's being given toward transformation, not just information. Fourthly, study it together. 
Find a group of people and study God's Word together. We offer that on Sunday mornings in our Bible study groups, our Sunday schools. If you're not a part of that, you're missing out on the opportunity to study God's Word together. Maybe you're not ready to step into a Sunday school class. In a couple of weeks, week and a half, we're starting new classes for men and women, for adults on Wednesday nights. Our youth and our children and our preschool have awesome programs on Wednesday nights as well where they're studying God's Word together. But you need to be a place where you're studying God's Word together. Our women are going to walk through the second half of the book of Exodus. You come be a part of that. My wife Susan will be facilitating that. It's a study by Jen Wilkin. And my, for men, we're going to have a study that I'm going to help be leading, facilitating through the book of Hebrews. And we're just going to study the book of Hebrews verse by verse for that time frame, asking God to change us and to show us and to inform us and to correct us and rebuke us in the midst of that. Um, there are um, screens that are flipping through as we go, as you leave today, that will be up there that have the information about how to get that. There's In the elevator, there's a place you can sign up. Down on the children's desk, there's a way you can sign up. And even over in the FLC, there are just little flyers there. You can sign up for that. And I would encourage you to do that. You need to study it together with people. Find a class on Sunday morning that you're a part of or a small group. Some of our small groups meet outside of Sunday morning. If you have questions about that, you can ask me. I'd love to talk to you about it. Find a small group and put your life in the middle of it and invest it. And this is the last thing. Obey it. Do what it says. Whether you like it or not. Whether it's acceptable in our culture or not whether you would have a different idea or not, let it be the ultimate authority in your life in decision-making and obey God's Word that is breathed out from Him for us. God desires to form us into that picture that He has of us and complete and whole, ready to be used for His glory. And in the midst of that, He's going to use a multiple set of tools to do that but the primary tool he uses in my life and what scripture teaches about itself i believe that he uses in our lives to mold us into the people that he's called us to be is his word inspired breathed out from him to change our lives where do you need to be more involved in allowing god to prune you with his word let's pray together Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the way that you have molded it to mold us. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom as we read it, discernment to understand it, and, Lord, the ability to stand firm in it in our day and age. Pray in this moment that you would speak to people and give them wisdom and discernment about how you're calling them to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.